So like when I'm sitting in an IEP meeting as like the parent advocate, I tell everyone around the table, I want you to suck in your stomach. Okay, everybody out there sucking your stomach. Now hold that for eight hours. That's your overwhelmed child. Hi, brave friends. Welcome to episode 133. Today is a practical episode. I'm Jessica Pate, your host, and I'm so happy to be back with you here today, always. Do you think you fully understand ADHD and how it impacts school and everyday life if you are a parent to a child, teenager, or adult with ADHD? Do you feel like you really, really have a handle on it? Well, I have two kids who were diagnosed with it as high schoolers, and I still certainly do not. ADHD is a common condition that's caused by differences in the brain, simple definition. It isn't a matter of laziness or willpower, that's one of many, many myths about it. In fact, people with ADHD are often trying as hard as they can to focus and keep their impulses in check. Although it is common, it is definitely not simple, not by any means. It is extremely complex. Clinical psychologists will say this, psychiatrists will say this, neurologists will say this. There are many aspects to this disorder. There is no magic pill or formula that will help all kids and adults who struggle with ADHD, but there are proven methods, tips, skills, and wisdom to be applied. We have an incredible guest for you today, Leslie Josell, an ADHD academic and parenting coach who is an award-winning entrepreneur, having founded Order Out of Chaos, a virtual company whose mission is to help parents guide their students to success in learning and in life. She is also the creator of the award-winning Academic Planner, a tool for time management, a planner that helps students develop time management skills, and the award-winning author of three books, including the recently published How to Do It Now Because It's Not Going Away, An Expert Guide to Getting Stuff Done. A respected resource on ADHD and executive functioning, Leslie writes the weekly Dear ADHD Family Coach column for Attitude Magazine, the premier magazine for adults and children with ADHD. She speaks to audiences all over the world, helping them utilize their resources to best navigate the task-driven world in which they live. Last year, Leslie's line of student organizing products, a collaboration with Samsung Core, was released. And for the last six years, Leslie has been named by Global Gurus as one of the top 20 time management experts in the world. I hope you get a lot out of this conversation. Good morning, Leslie. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here. We just had such a good conversation right before we got on, so I'm excited to keep going. Yes, you are doing phenomenal, phenomenal work in the world, and I thank you. And like you said, you did this before anybody was doing this. It's been almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years next September. So yes, I'm old. (laughs) That's the first thing I tell people. (laughs) Yeah, I felt back then, and I still feel this way, that there's just this incredible need for community and connection and information and really feeling like you're not alone on, you know, we call it like your parenting journey. Cause I know when my kids were much younger, I did. 
I felt very alone. So that's really the basis of it is, you know, we just want people to come and grab from us, from Order Out of Chaos, any information that they need. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a child that is neurodiverse. There are plenty of parents who come to us for resources and webinars and information if their child is struggling with study skills or time management or all we like to call those soft skills. So there are so many things that we could talk about. I mean, it is... (laughs) We could just have you every week and we will never never finish talking about all the areas of ADHD. But today we decided together that we would focus on time blindness and then also about how it's really important to understand that your child isn't lazy, that there's a motivation that's going on. So I'm going to let you go. Or a sustainment of effort is how we say it. So we're going to start with time, but one of the things I want your viewers to understand is we do a lot of this. My child isn't lazy. They have a hard time sustaining effort. So that's the balance. And we're going to definitely, definitely chat about that. So what I want though, for your viewers to hear me say is that it's really not about ADHD. ADHD does not tell the whole story at all. And what everyone out there really needs to know, and again, I'm not going to make this scientific. I'm such not a sciencey girl, but I think it's important for those out there that have children that are struggling with time management, organization, sustaining effort, even like impulsivity or working memory, that those are what we call executive function. And if your child is diagnosed with ADHD, they automatically have executive dysfunction. There's no if, ands, or buts. They go hand in hand. But the reverse is not true. And that's the aha moment. The aha moment is you could have a child with Time blindness, weak working memory, not able to sustain effort. Those are all executive functions, but that doesn't mean they would be diagnosed with ADHD. So we really tend to focus our work and our learning on EF skills. We're just going to call them EF skills because it's shorter than that ADHD. The thing I want everyone also to know as we talk about time blindness and sustainment of effort is what's called executive age. It's really important. You might have a 13-year-old at home, and that 13-year-old is is 13 in all their 13-ness, if you know what I mean. They could be 13 athletically, academically, verbally, right? Even socially. But if that 13-year-old is challenged with any of those executive functions, they're going to be nine, right? They're going to be 30% less their chronological age. I want everyone to hear me say that. 30%. Now, again, none of this is absolutes, different ages, different stages, but roughly 30%. So if you have a nine-year-old at home who's time blind, the way you, what you're going to expect from them, how you're going to scaffold them is very different than 13. And that, when I do that with parents, they're like, that's the aha moment. Oh, you're right. That's where the struggle is. That's where I'm frustrated. Like, my kid is 13. Why can't they start homework on their own? Or my kid is 16. Why can't they get up in the morning on their own? Because they're not 16 and they're not 13. They're nine. And that's where we as parents need to live if we have a kid struggling with EF skills. That is an aha moment Mm -hmm. right there. I've never heard anybody say that. And it makes perfect sense as a mother to two kids. You know, I'm not just speaking for our community, but I'm, I can see that my gears are spinning. I can see that in my own home. That word should, like they should be. And I'm like, no, because what we're really talking about is brain-based behaviors. Okay. So I wanted to kind of set the landscape with that because once you go into it, then you're like, okay, now I understand. So let's chat about time. And 
I love chatting about time because I feel like people think time is invisible and I think time is so three-dimensional. Time has a beginning, middle, and end. It has a future. It has a past. I love it. So here's what being time blind means. And again, I'm going to have you picture a scenario. I want you to think of yourself on a boat and you are completely unmoored. You cannot see an horizon around you right? So you're confused. You're a little off. You're like, well, where am I? You're unbalanced. That's being time blind, not knowing how much time do I have? How much time passed? How long is this going to be? That's that same kind of like weirdly unbalanced feeling. So how do we tether our kids to time? Here's what I want you all to think about. For your child to truly be tethered to time, you have to externalize time to internalize it. And so any way possible that you can make time visible, that's how your child is going to all of a sudden feel time. So I want you to think calendars, timers, and my favorite thing in the world, I don't know if you can see it, are analog clocks. So here's my tip, and this is what I love about this tip, it doesn't matter if your child is eight or 18, every single room that your child spends time in needs to have an analog clock, including the bathroom, my friends, especially the bathroom. And especially if you have teens, there needs to be two. Okay, we're all friends. We're all friends, right? There needs to be one by the sink and there has to be one in the shower. I'm sorry. It's true. Never heard this. This is phenomenal. (laughs) Think about where your child loses time. I know all of your viewers are going, my kid goes into that bathroom and 20 minutes go by. So why analogs versus this? Yes. Because this only gives you one time, gives you the present. So if I was to say to a child, can you show me 20 minutes from now? Or can you tell me, show me what 10 minutes ago looks like? They can't do it on this. The only time they see is the present. But an analog lets you see, and here's the operative word, it lets you see time move. You've got to see the movement of time to know how much time has passed that you have. Why analogs are so critical is this. If you have a child at home or at school, and I am not disparaging schools, I do a ton of work in the schools, especially if a child that has EF challenges, so they might have a hard time sustaining effort or focus. This is them. Oh my goodness, how long is this going to be? How much time is left? And what they're doing is looking anywhere and everywhere to tether themselves. Where are they going to see that is on an analog. All of a sudden they're like, oh, I have five minutes. And here's what happens. They sit up in their chair. They kind of move. They maybe fold their legs, pick up a pen, move a paper, anywhere to re-energize themselves. Because what they're doing now is they've paused. Okay, I have five minutes. They now picture the end, picturing done. Picturing, knowing where done is, is, is huge. And then they can pace themselves. So, okay, five minutes. I can do that. I can do five minutes. Let me wiggle. So I want you to think pause, picture, pace. That power of done is so important. It's not only to keep kids, particularly with the F challenges, engaged and staying the course. It's also to activate. I always say they have to see done before they can begin. So any way you can externalize time. I want you to think timers. I want you to think calendars, anything visual. And when you are calendaring, for those of you with younger kids, I don't want you to just have on that wall calendar 530 soccer. That is not going to teach your child how to internalize time. What you have to do there is map it. 
So what time do you need to be ready to leave and show that incremental? It's not about 5.30. That's not teaching your kid time. It's you need to be dressed by X, out the door by Y, at the field by Z. That's going to teach your child time. Yes, for sure. It makes sense. And I think it's really, really, really helpful to our parents because it's so easy to focus on just the end time and not realizing to all that goes into wanting to get done right what's going on for them versus us just focusing on outcome or motivation or exactly hurry up get it done get out the door on time right you always have to be thinking if anything you are saying can be misinterpreted or have multiple interpretations then it's too vague. So hurry up, get ready. We're leaving words like soon. They don't work for a kid with EF challenges by any means. And so here's another tip. And again, I'm not disparaging parents. I am one. I check myself. I'm, my kids are flown and grown and I still check myself at the door. <laughs> but we're very good at saying like, why don't you go upstairs and get your math homework done before dinner? Right? We think that is completely innocuous, right? Like go upstairs sure. and get your math homework done. Sure. There's so much stress in that. There's so much decision-making. There's so many questions in that because what you're assuming your child knows is time. You're assuming your child can see themselves in that. How long is that gonna take me? Am I gonna get done before dinner? When is dinner? So I always, here's another buzzword, it's always time over task. It is never task over time. It's never go do your homework. It's let's sit down for 20 minutes or 22 minutes. I like things actually on the odd, because I think they're interesting. And when something's interesting, it's memorable and fun. So I never set timers for 20 minutes. I set timers for 22 minutes. Or if I have younger kids, we never start homework at four o'clock. We started at 407 because it's funny, right? Right. And when you have that executive functioning, you need that funness, that energy, that oomph. So off times make us a little uncomfortable, but in a good way. So I want you to think off times, but I want you to think time over task. It should never be go do X. It should be let's spend 15 minutes, 17 minutes so that your child can see time. That's great. Okay. That's so helpful. Right. So those are my little time tips, but I want to make sure that we get into also, and if we have time, we we have time, we can go back to time, but let's chat a little bit about this whole perception of laziness, because I think we are seeing so much of this overwhelm, particularly after the pandemic, during the pandemic. And I feel overwhelm is not spoken about enough, or we don't understand it enough because we don't see it it kind of lives under here. And I have a lot of students who come to me and say, my parents think I'm lazy, my teachers think I'm lazy, my coaches think I'm lazy, and adults too. I I would not be surprised if you have some viewers who are going, people in my world think I'm lazy. And I tell people, you go back and you tell people, you just have a hard time sustaining effort, which is an executive function. That's why I don't like the word lazy, but I only use it in the way to teach about it. So. In my world, in the order out of chaos world, we call that child the T-O-O child. Too much, too big, too hard, too vague, too loud, just too, right? Just Mm. overwhelmed by the overwhelm. And I know there's probably every single one of you is raising their hand going, that's my kid. 
Mm -hmm. So that's me right now. And that what we have to understand is that overwhelm and the perception of laziness and the inability to sustain effort or even activate are all related. There is no such thing as lazy. I don't believe in it because there's always something going on under the surface. That's why we show up that way. And for most of your kids, I would bet, as I say, dollars to donuts, it's because they're overwhelmed in some way. They might be holding it in and holding it in all day at school. We call it the bucket, right? The bucket shows up at school empty and it just gets filled all day long. How much things that they have to do. And remember, if you have EF challenges, you're putting out way more energy than a child who might be more mainstream. So like when I'm sitting in an IEP meeting as like the parent advocate, I tell everyone around the table, I want you to suck in your stomach. Okay, everybody out there sucking your stomach. Now hold that for eight hours. That's your overwhelmed child. So that the minute they get they leave school, it all floods out or that bucket overflows, which means like nothing you're gonna do or say is right, right? The, the snack is wrong, the dog's too loud, my sister's annoying, mom or dad or caregiver, shush, because they've been holding it in and holding it in, so it all floods out. Or we have the child, we call that the hoodie headphone kid, right? The kid that just wants to, right? we call it the, the, the hoodie headphone syndrome. It's that kid that just wants to disappear and disappear because the weight of the world is on their shoulders. There's so much cognitive overload. And what brings on that cognitive overload are many things, but the ones I wanna talk about are, are not knowing what it is they need to do. So if you as a parent are giving instructions and they are vague or they can be misinterpreted or there is too much information, your child's brain has to work 20 times harder to figure you out. And the more figuring out they have to do, the more cognitive overload, the more weight, the more stress, the more hoodies, the more headphones, put a fork in them, they're done. And what you're seeing is the perception of lazy and what they're doing is I can't sustain this effort because my brain can't figure out what it is you're asking me or telling me to do. So a couple of things. If you are giving instructions, you've got to be pithy. You have to be slow. You have to be short. And you have to make sure they heard you. But not just heard you, understood you. Like we're really, really good at asking our kids like, oh, what do you have today for homework? And they recite it. But that doesn't give you any information. The better question is, do you understand what it is you're being asked to do? So something as simple as go clean your room, that's too vague. What does that mean? What does that mean? Because my definition of cleaning a room and your definition of cleaning the room are completely different. Your kid could walk in his room and go, hmm, my room is clean. Right. It's books on the shelf, clothes in the hamper, Legos in the bin. I'm just making up. Right. Exactly. Yes. Again, if anything you say needs to be interpreted or figured out, it's too hard. Okay. So if I say to someone, please put your books on the bookshelf, there's no room for misinterpretation there. But if you say, go clean your room, it's a little vague. And overwhelming. Beyond overwhelming. I know. I always say to my daughter, do you want me to be like the traffic controller? I'll come in and break that down. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dishes in the sink. Like just as exactly what you just said. Clothes in the hamper. Task oriented. Very, very, everything has to be bite-sized like nuggets because if you're giving, and here's the other thing, and I really want to bring this up. 
a lot of times if we have a child at home, we tend to do the two-on-ones, right? Mom and dad, partner and partner, whatever your household looks like. Right. But understand that if you have a child that has a hard time sustaining effort, they have a hard time processing information. So if you have two people, why did you do this? How come this? I didn't like you. Your child is no way and you know what going to be communicating with you. And that was really hard in my household to figure out. But my husband and I really did that. We were like, okay, as many ways we can only do one-on-ones, we will have a much more engaged and not a hoodie earphone syndrome. And we used to have this literally like a signal that if I would like come into a room and my husband was having a conversation, let's say with one of our children, he would just do this to me. And what that meant is turn right back around and get the heck out of Dodge. Because what would happen is we would notice that if it was the two of us, both of my kids and only not both my kids even have EF challenges. This is just parenting. They would just shut down completely. And then to be very much a truth teller, sometimes my husband and I would start arguing. Well, why didn't you say that? And I didn't like, because you're all doing that. I know you're all doing that. And your kid's like, hey, they're arguing. I'm out. Like, I'm out. Like, I'm, and, you, and your kid slinks away. And the next thing you know, you're left alone in the room going, wait, we're having an argument. And right. And my kid is nowhere to be found. So exactly. one-on-ones are absolutely imperative for that. And then the other thing I really want you all to be thinking about are decisions. Okay. Decision fatigue particularly for a child that has what I call, you know, the executive functioning challenges. Again, like when we think EF challenges, we think organizing and time management and prior, but we don't see the subtext, which is overwhelm and decision-making. And for those with EF challenges, think about it. If you ask your kid, what do you want for dinner? I guarantee most of them are going, I don't know, or whatever. But if you say to them, do you want like chicken or pasta? They can make a decision. Mm -hmm. So I want you when you are communicating, if you can not ask open-ended questions or try to limit, I know it's hard because again, anywhere where your child has to be working something out, figuring stuff out, it's just load and more load and more load on the brain. Mm. So the less you, the less you do that, the better it is. Now, if it's okay, I want to talk about lying. Because we see this a lot where parents come to us in our OOC group and go, and there is a definite correlation between effort, lying, and overwhelm. They're all one big soup pot. So a lot of parents go, I don't understand. My kid will blatantly lie, even though right in front of me, I know that they didn't do what they said. Like, did you clean your room? Yeah, of course I cleaned my room as you're standing at the room with the room not looking or of course I did my homework and you can see whether it's in a portal or in the knapsack that that didn't happen. And that's the head scratcher. It's the head scratcher we get is why is my kid like right in front of me, knowing I know that they didn't do something, telling me they did. And like, and what I'm telling you is number one lying. Now I'm not talking about the kid that's, remember I work with older kids. I'm not talking about the kid sneaking out at two o'clock in the morning, stealing the car and going somewhere. I'm talking about like inconsequential lies. Mm -hmm. My best story is my girlfriend calling me up going, my son had powder from a powdered donut all over his face. I was saying, but I didn't eat it. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about like, I'm talking about, I didn't do my homework. I didn't clean my room. I'm not talking about like, those are another conversation for another day. But here's what I need you all to know. When your child is so overwhelmed, they will actually pick lying 
and facing the consequences of the lie than actually doing what you ask them to do, because that is harder. I've had thousands of kids across this computer go to me. I would much rather just say, I, I did it and face whatever consequence. What's the consequence? I lose my phone. I can't see my friends. That's way easier for me than to actually sit down and clean my room or do the work that I'm being asked to do. That, uh, you know where that hits me though? That hits me with compassion. That is so much easier for me to mm -hmm. handle that consequence and disappoint you because I'm lying or whatever than actually doing the work. That hits my compassion button. Oh, so much so, right? And when I talk about lying that way, it changes that whole, because and again, not disparaging anybody out there because lying is touchy, I know that, but we take it so personally. We think our kids, and I, and I say mm. this, your kid does not wake up in the morning, and I hope I'm allowed to say this on your podcast. Your kid doesn't wake up in the morning going, gee, how can I piss off my parents today? Most kids don't, some kids do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the majority of kids do not wake up in the morning going, how can I really like, you know what today? How can I screw up today? How can I really make everyone in my orbit like mad at me? Uh-uh. They are 90% of the time, again, that's why they're lying because it's easier. And that's so like, if you look at it that way, doesn't that change your whole like, God, I feel all, like that whole compassion piece is like front and center. Absolutely. And that actually brings me to, it's funny because we get, we talk a lot about the brain. And again, I told you guys, I'm not science-y, but I feel like you have to understand the brain. Sure. So, so I'm going to just do a two second brain. I don't know what you want to call it. Lesson. Brain lesson. <laughs> there we go. The brain lesson. So our brain is right brained and left brained. I think we all know that. And I, this is how I have people remember it. Your left brain are all the L words, right? It's linear, right? It's logical. It's all that very like you know, straight down the line thinking, or I like to say it's like where we want to, you know, reason things away. But the right brain is where our emotions live. That's where like when we're upset or angry or anxious, that's the right side of the brain. And if anything in our world is creating us being emotional or upset or anxious or any of those words, the right brain is going to blow up like a helium balloon. I want you to picture a helium balloon and it's going to cover that left brain. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts here. The right brain always wins. It's always emotion over logic, right? It's always feelings over facts. But what we do when our kids are showing emotion is we tend to try to reason with the left side of the brain. You're going to be okay. Or, well, let's try to figure this out. Or, you know, it wasn't as bad as you're really thinking. And we're thinking we're doing a service. And what I'm telling you is that left brain is gone. It has left the building. Put a fork in it. It's done. Okay? It is done. That right brain is everywhere right now. And there is no ifs, ands, or buts, guys. Don't, I used to say this when I would do this. Like, don't drop me in the chat and tell me. No, no, no. It does not, that the right brain wins. So what we have to be doing is connecting to that right brain and trying to deflate it with, I'm here for you. Can I hug you? Sometimes a hug from the back will bring it down. I love a hug from the back. I feel like that sensory piece is really important. Breathe. Sometimes if they're loud, I will do, can you match me tone for tone? It's a really good one. Keep your voice low. Sweetie, I'm listening. Can you match me tone for tone? And that helps to bring, because what we need to do is connect to that right brain. I hear you. I feel you. I see you. I'm sorry. That must be upsetting for you. Even if they lied and you're pissed, 
You've, and I know this is really hard for parents because you want a parent. You want to parent right then and there. And I'm here to tell you, no, I know that's hard. You cannot parent when that right brain is. Now, it does not mean when the right brain is done that you can't parent. You just can't connect and parent. At, there's no parenting moment or teaching moment while that right brain is in full bloom. So what we do is we have to connect to that right brain. We have to deflate it and then we can connect to the left brain. That is very helpful. And I think that's where I know in our community, like in the order out of chaos community, that's the struggle of, but I want a parent. And I'm like, I know you want a parent. Like, I get it. Trust me. I had one of them. I still have one of them. Granted, he's older and not as, but you can't. It has to first, you have to deflate because what you're not realizing is all of that left brain chatter is only making that right brain bigger. Oh, that's really helpful. When that right brain is engaged, no, that left brain hears nothing. If your child also is able to advocate for themselves, sometimes this is for older kids and they say, I need to be alone right now, or I need time right now, and they want to leave the room, that doesn't mean you follow them and keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <Right>? yes. <laughs> Noted. How many of us are guilty of that? I think that is probably the hardest thing for parents. It's this wanting, because we're fixers, right? We're fixers. We want our kids to feel better. And so we want to like, but it's okay, but it didn't really, it's not as bad as it looked. No, 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 no. Can't do that. And that all plays into overwhelm and effort and that whole, that whole mush. It makes sense. So Leslie, you are chock full of so much wisdom, so much experience, so much support and resources for parents. Where can everybody find you? Please tell our listeners. Sure. So we make it really easy for you. The name of my company, I don't know if you can say it, is Order Out of Chaos. Our website is orderoochaos.com. And if you go there, you can find our webinars, our books, our social, our pro- like whatever you want. Just go there first and it'll take you to wherever you need to go. Oh, this has been so great, Leslie. Thank you so much for coming to Brave Together podcast. And I I have a feeling I'll be calling upon you again. So thank you. My pleasure. This was fantastic. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Do us a favor and leave us a review and a rating so that this podcast can get into the ears and the hearts of more and more moms. Did you know that Brave Together podcast is an extension of our nonprofit organization called We Are Brave Together? We Are Brave Together serves an international community of caregiving moms by offering support groups that are virtual and in-person, educational resources, and low-cost weekend retreats. And we offer retreat scholarships. We represent all 50 of the United States and 21 countries around the world. We are here to remind you that you are not alone. You are braver and stronger than you think, and that girlfriends who get you are sacred and mandatory. To join us today, go to wearebravetogether.org. Our support and sisterhood await you.